Welcome to the Partnernomics Show, where industry thought leaders discuss the hottest topics in partnerships, ecosystems, and innovation. The Partnernomics Show is brought to you by Iolite Solutions, a product incubator specific to Salesforce. Now here's the host of the Partnernomics Show, Mark Brigman. All right, welcome back to another episode of the Partnernomics Show. Looking forward to spending some time with you guys again today. We have another awesome guest on the show. Andre, it's been a while since we had a chance to catch up, man. I'm really looking forward to, to spending some time with you. Um, what's been going on? It's been years. Oh, Mark, I mean, uh, thanks for having me. It's been, uh, it's been a little while indeed. So uh, it's uh, tremendous to be back. And uh, what's been going on, where do I even begin? I think uh, one of the major things that has happened since we last talked that, uh, you know, also, artificial intelligence became um, something more than uh, just a toy that it used to be <laughs> just a couple of years ago. I think uh, it, it became a little bit of a fad towards the end of last year, but I think this year it has really erupted into the scene in all industries. And I, I don't think we should let the partnerships industry stay far behind. Let's talk yeah, about this. Absolutely agree. So uh, Andre, you, you're at Google. And you've been there for a long time, doing some awesome work with them. Uh, if you would, just kind of share uh, 60 seconds or so. I mean, just tell us a little bit about uh, Andre, for those that might not be familiar with your background or the work and the contributions that uh, you make to the partnering profession. Sure, happy to. I've been with Google for nine on 13 years, soon enough anyway, and uh, in the partnerships team for the past six of them, maybe seven soon to be. And... Um, for some of that time, actually, I worked with uh, several AI-related initiatives, like I was involved in the launch of the Google Assistant in the Russian market, for example. But that was a fair few years ago, and I think... Um, and that is an awesome other... tool, by the way. That is it an is, absolutely is, think, awesome know... tool. I've got it right here, like, all the time. <laughs> Look, the Assistant uh, and all the uh, sort of intelligent assistants by all the companies that are out there, whether they're present in our phones or home devices and so on, they've been transforming our lives significantly, but sort of in a gradual way, I suppose, over the past few years. And uh, again, you know, um, I, I feel like the advances, advancements in generative AI in this ability to have a long form, deep, I don't know if they're meaningful, but deep conversations uh, with AI, are what's going to actually maybe uh, re-inject a little bit of life into these technologies that we've come to rely on for certain use cases, but maybe I think many of us have felt like we've reached the limitations of what they can do for us. And maybe now those limitations are changing again. Yeah, this will be an interesting topic in, in a slightly different format for the Partneronomics Show. We're totally going to dig into AI, right? That's kind of been the big buzz for the last several weeks. Lots of interesting information um, has come out as we were chatting before we hit record. You know, a lot of, uh, you know, the big thought leaders and the, the big executives, big companies out there now starting to make recommendations for policies, those certain things, but we're going to, to get into that. But we're going to launch four questions, all kind of centered around AI and to try to understand uh, a little bit of kind of what is AI, but then also kind of put the specific partnering uh, flavor to that to see, or at least discuss how it might uh, benefit partnering professionals. So um, Andre, let me fire up the clock and hit in the first question here. And that is, um, a lot of us in business are familiar with BI or business intelligence. We've seen, heard, worked with that stuff for you know, over a decade. Uh, that's been around. What's the difference between 
BI and AI, are they the same exact thing or what's the difference? Well, I certainly would uh, steer away from uh, thinking that the, you know, that closely related other than the use of the word intelligence in both of them. I think co even comparing them is a little bit uh, misleading. So uh, business intelligence is, I guess, as you rightly put it, it's probably uh, um, intel more, more aligned with intelligent decision making and how you can use you know, the, the, the usual right, information into data into, or the knowledge into information into, what is it? It's data into information into knowledge, right? So, and that's what business intelligence is all about. How do you gather the right stuff, process it correctly, and then make the right decisions based on that. So that's, it's like, it's almost an, an area of expertise. It's an area of study, an area of, uh, it's, it's its own academic field. Uh, there is certainly, when we talk about analysis and even data gathering, there is a way in which what we refer to as AI can be used for it, but like it, it's a where BI is a discipline. AI in a way is also, I suppose, a discipline, but let's leave that aside. Let's, let's look at it more of, as a tool, right? For now, I think. And that's probably the distinction we need to make here. And if you, for folks who are less familiar with the space, again, it's important to emphasize, we talk about AI a lot. And then, I mean, those of you who are into sci-fi, you've probably been reading and watching lots of interesting stuff and fascinating uh, movies around what artificial intelligence can do. We have to be clear. I don't know how far away, because it's always, it's always very far away until it's here. But we are some way away from the kind of artificial intelligence and uh, human-like carbon-based uh, life forms, or rather not carbon-based, but the silicon-based life forms that we see in movies, right? Right now, at least it feels that way. So in my opinion, technically speaking, we don't have AI as such in the, in the meaning of an intelligence, a human-like intelligence that has been created artificially and has emerged to a level of self-consciousness that we associate with intelligence. What we have in the industry right now is um, probably in like the, the, the sort of the steep bit of the S-curve of machine learning possibilities, of what the industry has learned to do with machine learning algorithms and the kind of output, useful output that they, it can provide. When we talk about generative AI, especially, right, that has become a bit of a buzzword now. Again, we're down to this large language models. Some of you might be familiar with some of the big brand names flying out there. Google has recently released BART that's now you know, open for, for your testing as well. What it is, is basically, it's a machine model that has seen a lot of text and can predict which words are more likely to emerge um, next. Right. It's not much more than what your phone has been doing for you for a while if you use predictive text input. It is, however, it is more than that, right? Because it has seen so much text and it has seen so much information that in some ways it starts to look like what actually some humans do. Because admit it, many times when you've been uh, responding to an email or writing an article, it does start to feel like you're just regurgitating stuff that's somewhere in the background of your mind. So this is a little bit akin to this. It's not quite intelligence yet. There is probably not a ton of insights, critical thinking, and innovation, which is where humans excel. But it has a ton of information, a lot more than any individual human can have. And this ability to predict what humans in general might insert in a sentence after any given word is producing results that we can actually definitely find really interesting use cases for. 
It's an area that's oh. absolutely fascinating to me. I mean, from an education perspective, I studied economics, predictive modeling, statistics, econometrics, all this sort of stuff, which is really kind of in that in that business intelligence lane, getting data, analyzing data, regression analysis, meaning look at the past and use the cause and effect to try to predict or estimate the future. And you, you always kind of analyze and then you tune the models after that. It seems that the generative AI is an approach where the system itself might be able to learn when it's wrong. And so if it learns when it's wrong, it can self-correct. And that's when, that's the learning piece, right? And that's what's interesting, but I think kind of scary for people that don't really understand. You know, we're, we're trying to all wrap our arms around this. The boundaries are so fuzzy here that I don't want to spend us, I don't want us to spend an extra five minutes discussing this, but I was just going to say, a lot of humans don't know where they're wrong. You know, it would be amazing <laughs> if humans could have this kind of ability to recognize where they're, when they're wrong. So it's actually not that, that makes it even scary in the sense that it makes it more similar to us, I guess, right? Because you can poke fun at it and, and say, like, there's a famous example making the rounds where one of the models was saying that seven plus two equals nine is false and then gives a whole, you know, explanation why that's false. And you go, oh, it's a stupid machine. You're not able to recognize this. But there's, I know a, a fair few people who make statements that are false or true and then you know claim the opposite about them and very convincingly argue that point and said, i wish you could recognize how wrong you are so yeah there's, there's that that's really interesting where that can go so basically definitely i would i think it's what, we, what we're touching on here and i just make this point and we can move on with the rest of them but is that we absolutely need to be really careful when um analyzing the output that generative ai produces but I would say not more or less so than we are when analyzing anybody else's output in reality, right? So that's, you know, the basic principles of sound uh, business practices are not going anywhere. Right. Uh, all right, so let's fire in a second question. Let's bring it to partnerships. Uh, can generative AI be used in partnerships? I think the answer The short is answer? Yeah, I don't think we even need five minutes for that. I say yes, yeah. right, and we wrap it up, <laughs> and then we like. I think we can we can uh, move on with our days. But no, well we, well, we got your attention. I think let's discuss this a little bit. And first of all, and also let us know in the comments, like what do you think about this? But fundamentally, my uh, proposition is that yes, it certainly can. And now let's discuss how and with what sort of with what flavors and what caveats. First of all, I found uh, personally over the past few months or weeks even that it can uh, be a huge helper in uh, removing some of the more basic menial tasks sometimes involved in our work. Uh, very often as uh, partnership professionals, we need to explore new industries, explore new fields. Uh, I'll, I'll give you specific examples to bring it home. I was at an event recently, which I enjoyed tremendously, where I knew some of the participants. It was, an, it was a conference. Right? So I knew some of the folks exhibiting there but not a lot. There were like a few dozen, maybe 50, 100 exhibit, um, sort of different booths there, different companies. And I only knew a few of them. And I didn't know the rest of them. And my usual approach to figuring out who's who, talking to people, asking people that I know, maybe people who've been to this sort of conference before. Um, and that still applies. You should still do that by, by all means. And like any, anything you've been doing before, it certainly works. But I thought, okay, well, on the, why, wouldn't, why don't I try um, seeing how much I can get out of uh, generative AI for this? And literally just grabbing a list 
of all the participants of the conference, throwing it into one of the tools and asking it to classify it for me. And just getting back a really neat specific classification by uh, industry and specialization of companies made me well, save me hours of work in terms of specifying who I need to or don't need to talk to. Never mind get, asking it afterwards, where are they based? Do we have contact details and so on, right? So you can, it, at the level of um, providing something that um, you know, like a, a human researcher could probably also produce after a few hours of work, it can just certainly save a lot of time. So th that's just to begin with. It, it's a time saver. Of course, you need to double check, but you would need to double check anyway, right? Because I mean, if you're talking about a human researcher, you either need to trust them really well, or based on the fact that they've delivered consistently appropriate and correct results over time. The same thing here, right? You wouldn't just blindly trust it from the word go, but if you see it giving you the correct results time over and over again, maybe you can start trusting it a bit more. So that's number one, right? It can, um, that kind of recommendations of partner candidates, um, just con finding contacts, some very basic stuff is really helpful. Then another one I found really interesting is connected to sort of the more, I suppose, creative parts of our work, where we start thinking, again, and I don't know to what extent it can replace us, I don't believe it can anytime soon, but thinking about goals of partnerships, right? Or thinking about uh, joint strategies and, and uh, the structure of partnerships. I don't expect Generative AI to be able to uh, produce me a very like detailed partnernomics-based uh, partnership strategy for a new partner in under five minutes. But I expect it to give me some hints and pointers as to where I should start thinking based on what is known about the new type of partner that I have, right? It's, it feels like again, it's yeah. almost like, well, to, kind of to, to the point to, that you're making earlier, at least what, what I was hearing is it's almost like the evolution of the search engine. I mean, we go to the search engine, we tell what we want to look for. I can go find that stuff. I can maybe even discern what I want better than what the search engine will. But instead of me spending six hours, I spend a half a second and I get a prioritized list that I get to sift through. It almost it seems like, you know, at least on the generative AI side kind of promises this opportunity of we ask it a question and it will make a recommendation. It's up to us to evaluate that. But what could take us potentially days or months <laughs> to to go build and test and analyze it makes a it puts a recommendation right in front of you in almost real time what i particular and i fully agree with that and thank you for summarizing it much faster than, than i have been uh, <laughs> trying to the uh, almost like uh, you know i'm not even going to make that joke anyway everybody everybody <laughs> guessed but the uh, the other thing that personal tip if you like in this kind of area is uh, never ask for maybe we can, I, I'm wondering to what extent we should do this with humans now. Uh, never ask um, a close ended question. Always ask for options. Don't ask it, give me the strategy or give me the title of my new book. Uh, try asking, give me options. Give me five options. Give me five options based on this input and another five options based on some other input. So learn to um, learn to use the tools to feed you ideas that you can then apply your creative uh, and analytical brains to. Yeah. 
that's what the human piece is, right? It's, it is that human piece that, uh, that yeah, I'm not sure we can get machines there, at least no time in the, in the near future. All right, third question. Um, what are the obstacles? What are some of the things that we need to kind of figure out or really think through in order to accelerate uh, the use and the, and the further development of AI? I've been, uh, incidentally, just been uh, reading up on some uh, Stoics philosophy recently, and uh, a st phrase uh, stuck with me that the obstacle is the way. And then when I saw your question, like, how, do I, how can I turn this? It might not necessarily be the way, but it's definitely interesting to think about uh, the things that now stand in the way of uh, wider use and more reliable use. How can we turn them to our advantage? The, but at least we need to recognize what they are first, right, before we start even getting there. I think, first of all, it's the reliability of output. If, first of all, garbage in, garbage out, right? Or even like empty in, empty out as well. If there's no information available about something in the learning set, be prepared that you will get absolutely nothing out. The, the machine is not able. In fact, it's able to hallucinate, as we all know. Hallucinate is now a technical term where the machine just, where the model invents answers based on nothing. So be on the lookout for that. Um, but clearly, if the data is unreliable, if the data is missing, you will get unreliable and incomplete data back. So that's something that we need to be aware of. It's not so much an obstacle, but I guess the dearth of data or the uh, lack of data can be seen as an obstacle. Then um, the, the very hallucination, right? Uh, the, the, but it's the same with humans. Humans also lie and make mistakes. Basically, but I think we, we, might, we think, we believe that we're a little bit more used to humans. And so we know when to discern that. That's debatable. But in any case, we need to remember that with machines, with especially with generative AI, we kind of need to start thinking about it the same way. We don't need to, we can't, in fact, blindly trust everything we see. We need to double check and we need to learn new ways of double checking and verifying information and output, right? And making our own calls on this. So reliability uh, is an issue. Then we get into a really interesting areas as well, uh, sort of there are, it's a new area of technology where legislation and uh, policy are catching up and regulation is different is different across different areas. So we don't know what we don't know. We don't know which regulators are going to come in and allow, encourage or prohibit certain uses of uh, generative AI specifically and AI in general, right? We might even right now already start thinking very carefully and cautiously about what kind of questions do you ask generative AI models and how much proprietary or confidential content are you feeding into those systems? How much are you able to, or just reasonably sensibly, but also even legally, how much are you allowed to, to feed into them, right? Depending on what it is that you do. Definitely don't like think about confidentiality, uh, personally identifiable information, all this sort of stuff, right? So that's something we didn't probably have to worry about too much before. We definitely do now uh, in this area, at least. There's the ethical aspect here as well. We can uh, dive into more, but I, I think something that happened that we can can kind of avoid talking about because it literally happened like within the last couple of days, depending on when you are uh, listening to this. Um, the le leaders of the industry, including Elon Musk and um, folks from all sorts of different uh, companies, including Apple and many others, and many companies deeply involved in AI development as well, have uh, spoken out against un, uh, sort of unbridled AI development and have called for a six month long moratorium on uh, model growth. Like they haven't called for a stop to, for a pause to development as such, but they have called for a pause to 
to enhancing the abilities of these models to deal with inputs and provide different kinds of outputs so that we have time as a society to catch up basically and to understand how we deal with all this stuff because it's been it does feel i mean to i don't know about our listeners but or, or you mark but it feels to me that the past few months have been a bit of a runaway train in this area and maybe we do need that kind of pause but it seems like we've we've heard about and been talking about ai for years of of what it might be able to do or will it what it probably will be able to do but it seems like chat gpt <laughs> is the first time that literally a hundred million people have used the, the platform so far that's what's real that's what's made it real like you said i mean it's it's, it's not real until it happens and now no. it's like wow this thing is starting to happen um Talking about disruption, right? Uh, this uh, this reminds me. I was reading another article, uh, somewhat un unrelated, but it was talking about fast fashion, um, even even a further level down. And then it evoked uh, uh, Hemingway at some point, and talking about the sun also rises, where a guy being asked how he went bankrupt responds, gradually at first, and then suddenly. <laughs> and so that's exactly how disruption happens. And this, and as you were saying it, I was like, actually, this is exactly that, right? It felt so gradual and so slow and actually in some ways disappointing in terms of what it was able to deliver. And now all of a sudden it's all happening and every single, like, my uh, sort of, my family who are parts of which are not that deep into technology are talking to me and asking me questions about generative AI. That rarely happens. They, they don't ask me questions about browser technology or search technology or anything like this, right? And all of a sudden this is on, everybody, on everybody's minds right now. Yeah, so, super interesting. Uh, it's, a, it's a hype for sure, but within that hype, we as industry professionals, we need to understand like, okay, we don't need to overhype it or we don't need to kind of over blow it out of proportions, but this is the time to figure out how we're going to use it well. Yeah, absolutely. All right, so question number four. Um, so it seems like AI or generative AI uh, has the promise of really democratizing insights. And intelligence, right? Artificial intelligence. Um, is is this going to essentially replace, say, training, consulting? Do we even need to go to universities anymore? We just sit down and it will just pick a path for us. Uh, obviously, there's a human aspect that we need to, you know, to 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 stay with to to give us that full rounded part, but. Are people just going to be able to sit in front of a computer and get all of their answers and quickly be able to, as you said, you know, kind of verify and then they're kind of ready to go? I mean, how how is all this going to look and work and, and uh, be put together in, in the rest of at least, you know, my working career? <laughs> and, yeah. And so then this is where I launch a career as a futurologist. Uh, watch this space. But so uh, look. It depends on what kind of sci-fi books you prefer, the dystopias or the utopias, and what vision we want to paint. So anything we're going to say now, everybody, you know, take it with a grain of salt. And also, please, like, engage in this, in the discussion. Leave your comments. Talk to us. Say what you what you think about this. Um, I'm bullish and positive. I believe we've, as a, as humanity, we've uh, we've had some disruptive technologies in the past, and they have caused suffering and. In, in all senses, psychological, but also quite physical to us. Um, again, there's a, like a bit of a basic rule that any technology that humanity invents, it ends up using to uh, destroy itself in some form or another. Um, so yes, there's that danger for sure. 
On the other hand, like talking about us being well, like bringing it back more specifically to our profession and maybe consultancy and that kind of thing. Look, let's take printing, right? Printing did not put uh, scholars out of a job because you think about it, like uh, only a, a few people were able to create written materials for a long time. And all of a sudden now anybody can, can do anything. So now what you're gonna, all the scribes just suddenly disappeared, they transformed. And I think they welcome this. I mean, some of them have probably been uh, a little bit grumpy for a while, but then all of a sudden there people, generally speaking, realize that this democratizes, as you say, and opens the ability for many more people to get involved. So I think here we can look at it uh, the same way, and right? There's going to be a larger number of people able to engage in this kind of activity, meaning that uh, some other, some of us can evolve further into other more niche areas. I'm not necessarily saying advanced, they don't need to be more or less advanced than anything else, but this, I would see this in, an op in a positive way, in an optimistic way, as yet another platform, as yet another technological platform that allows us to elevate and get into more areas that were probably out of reach for us previously. So I'm optimistic about it. Um, I don't want to be proven wrong. And I think in fact, what, what I would also try to like to do in my day-to-day uh, -day job is that I ensure this is the path that we steer towards. I love how you used the word tool earlier because that's how I think of it. And and I think you know something else you said that I wholeheartedly agree with. I mean, even whenever you're looking at the the big partnering process, right? The J. McBain's of the world say there's a hundred components. If you really break it down to the ground floor, I could probably get to a thousand. And then so you, you'd ask, you, you, I guess you wouldn't ask AI, going back to what you said earlier, you wouldn't ask AI, hey, what's an end-to-end -end partnering playbook? What's this end-to-end -end partnering process that we're going to put in place and it's going to you know, set something in place for you? But you could ask it you know, 100, 500 questions over the course of time. And as long as you have the data that's there where it could learn, uh, the cause and effect pieces, it will accelerate the process, right? All good technologies, all these disruptive technologies, it's the ones that bring the, the massive amounts of efficiencies into it. And uh, having worked with hundreds, probably thousands by now, partnering professionals across the world, there are tons of inefficiencies in the partnering profession today, right? Look at success rates. If you just look in the channel side, success rates are somewhere between 10, 15, at best 20% um, of, of truly productive partners. That's a high failure rate. We could do better. I am absolutely convinced AI could be used as a tool um, in that lane, as well as other components of the partnering process to bring great efficiencies. I mean, I couldn't agree with you more, right? And the numbers are pretty scary. And you are the one who made me aware of them and aware of them in the first place. And think about it this way. I would say that a lot of those failures could be avoided if the right kind of questions were asked at the right time. And uh, we're not amazing at asking questions. And I think that's probably that's the one skill that needs to be taught at school, if anywhere, probably from kindergarten, like ask the right questions. And well, why don't we, uh, you know, steer our listeners in this direction? Use generative AI to learn how to ask the right questions. Don't ask AI for answers. Ask it for questions. For example, right? Ask it. What are the questions I need to ask my partner to really understand where our greatest combined strengths lie, and so on? You know, don't don't ask it for a strategy that. Uh, 
yeah. is going to be based on things that other people have done before and might have actually caused the 80% failure rate. Ask it to help you start thinking the right way about the insightful questions that you need to ask to make to draw your own conclusions and build your own strategies. Yeah, man, I love that. That's spot on. That's spot on. Awesome. Andre, thank you so much for your time. It's awesome checking in with you again. Man, keep up the great work and uh, look forward to continuing to see your contributions on LinkedIn and elsewhere. Absolutely. Thank you for having me, Mark. It's been a pleasure. Thanks for joining us for this week's episode of the Partnernomics Show. Don't forget to subscribe to get the newest episodes at thepartnernomicsshow.com. Special thanks to our sponsors, Iolite. To learn more about Iolite, visit iolitepro.com and Partnernomics, the science of partnering. To learn more about the suite of Partnernomics courses, coaching programs, and consulting services, visit Partnernomics.com. See you on the next episode.